for the week of November 22nd, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss the fourth episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, Chapter 12, The Siege. This episode was directed by Carl Weathers, and in it, the Razorcrest is unable to make it to Corvus in its condition after its run-in with the New Republic, causing Mando to stop by Navarro to receive assistance from some old friends. However, Mando soon finds out that they, too, need assistance with their own mission and destroying an Imperial base that is not what it seems. John, what did you think of this episode? This was fun. We haven't had a misfire so far this season. Uh, This one felt probably more self-contained than any of the ones we've had so far. Uh, You know, a lot of indoor action and um, a lot of familiar stuff. We got TIE fighters, we got speeder bikes, we got stormtroopers. So uh, this felt very good. But honestly, I want to see where we're going after this, right? Like we saw a lot of people that we already know, you know, old friends were, were certainly happy to see grief Karga uh, and Cara Dune. But um, after teasing Ahsoka and introducing us to the Mandalorians, I'm champing at the bit for more of that. So this was a fun diversion, but I'm certainly hoping that next week um, we're, we're well on our way to whatever the name of the planet is that Ahsoka's on. Well, and this definitely sets the stage for something big going on. There's some Mm. uh, mystery going on in this one. But first, let's talk about the mystery of the Mandalorian having the child go into these tiny little areas to help him with wiring on the Razor Crest. Yeah. Did he really think that this was going to end well? (laughs) Uh, It's a a fun little bit of comedy to kick off the episode. It's nice to have those lighthearted moments with baby because baby's so adorable that you want these little moments to just you know, go, oh, and isn't that fun? Uh, so this was, this was charming, but obviously just terrible parenting on so many mm-hmm. ways to, you know, shove your little baby into a cavern with live wires. So, uh, as a dad, I was cringing, but for, you know, a cute, fun little comedic way to introduce the episode, uh, I was definitely grinning at this. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's Carl Weathers who's directing this one, and mm-hmm. he is very fond of the baby after the events right. that occurred in uh, season one. And so it's just really interesting that they went the route where it's like, okay, he's going to direct it, and we're going to get probably the uh, at least the most in one episode of the child doing cute stuff. Yeah, this was a, a very stuffed episode for baby cute moments and uh, even you know the first time carl weathers is on screen his character is fawning over the baby and you know playing gaga gugu with it so uh yeah obviously he uh he eats this kind of stuff up so i mm-hmm. i think he probably lobbied for a couple extra cute moments with baby in this one uh and then another interesting thing that happens is up until this point and i may be wrong but i don't think we have ever seen the mandalorian actually like eat or drink anything um we've always kind of seen him be served but then we don't actually see him go and like you know drink and so this was you know just another kind of weird thing where he's lifting up his helmet (laughs) even though the child can kind of like see up into his helmet it looks like but you know it, it shows that he is still very much dedicated to the ancient way uh but yeah those were the two weird uh Mm -hmm. little uh little things that happened on the razor crest here yeah i like these quiet moments this is fun because it's sort of paying off the seeds of doubt that bo-katan put 
in the Mando in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's quickly learning that it's a much bigger universe than he realized because he's kind of like one of those bunker kids. You know, they they grow up in a religious cult or something, and they they have no idea what the outside world is like. And and he's seeing it for the first time, and you wonder if he's going to start questioning, you know, these, mm-hmm. these deep values that he was instilled with and whether he's going to maybe carve a new path or, or, you know, just go his own way. So it's almost like they were teasing that a little bit here, but no, you know, he's still, even when it's just him and baby, just like mm-hmm. him with his family, basically him with another Mandalorian, uh, he's still going to stick to the way. So they're kind of winking and telling you, no, no, this guy is still very much, you know, who he always was. There's not a whole lot of conflict, even when nobody's watching. Yeah. And it, it it shows just kind of like you said, that really how deep the roots are in mm-hmm. this ancient way that Mando was adopted into. I mean, he's not even a, you know, Mandalorian by blood. This is something he was adopted into. He, they obviously saved him. So there are some, there's a lot of baggage going on there for him. So mm-hmm. I definitely don't pity him and his uh, his questioning if we see that occur here. But Going on, we get the Razor Crest going back to Navarro. And we knew that, of course, we were going to get Cara Dune and, of course, uh, Grief back. But this one, uh, halfway through the season, we kind of get the launching into this. And I love that it picks up exactly where maybe the most questions were on Navarro. Like, we knew the Mandalorians were, you know, run out of Navarro and we didn't really see what would happen to the armory. But we see it now. I mean, it's being scavenged by by these aliens. And Cardoon is the is the marshal of Navarra, right. it seems. Yeah, I like how this tracks because the covert by its nature is covert. So I thought that what they were saying is that these um, you know, criminal gangs have taken up shop there, that they basically live there and this is where they were bringing back their booty or whatever. Um that was kind of the impression I got. And so any other marshal would have no idea where to find the covert, but not Cardoon because obviously in the the finale last year, you know, that that's where they end up. So it, it certainly tracks that she's the one marshal that would be able to track down this gang and figure out that they're, they're holding up in the covert, Uh fun little action scene, totally unnecessary, right? Like this is purely to remind you that Cara Dune means business and knows how to handle herself. And it, it's just there to kind of keep the excitement up for the early part of this episode where we're going to get a lot of exposition, a lot mm-hmm. of comedy, a lot of like baby in the classroom moments. So they know that they've got a few minutes to kill before we get back mm-hmm. into some serious pew pew action. So I think they just wanted to give us something to whet our appetite here. And then, you know, these scavengers are about to kill this little creature that looks like Timon from the Lion King. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're yeah, a space meerkat. And it's like a loyal space meerkat. Like, it's not even just something that's a mindless beast that they're hunting. But this is something that actually has affection because when Kara, uh, Kara saves it, it it just goes up to her and wants, wants some food. And then we see that it follows her <laughs> around throughout the rest of this time. Yeah, this isn't a salacious crumb that we want to see on a spit in the marketplace. This is a a, a cute little furry animal that's not very otherworldly. Like mm-hmm. this looks like an earth creature. So it's even more relatable. There, there's something just, yeah, more natural and endearing about it. You don't think of it as somehow something that's fair play in the Star Wars universe. You think of it as a helpless creature. And that's how they wanted to frame it, obviously, because it was at the mercy of these bandits. But yeah, you feed any stray animal, it's going to love you forever and follow you home. And so they bring that full circle a little bit later in the episode. But uh, for now, just a nice moment to remind you that Cara Dune has a heart. You know, she, mm-hmm. she means business. She can get the job done, but she's definitely one of the good guys. 
And then someone else who's definitely one of the good guys now is Grief. I mean, this was someone who had kind of a character <laughs> arc in the first season where, you know, he's battling between being a bounty hunter and serving the, you know, the bounty hunter code and doing all these, making all these questionable decisions. But now he is contributing to Navarro, his hometown, and building a school to basically, you know, raise up the next generation and do what people do in like third world countries all the time. Whenever they get run down by whatever disaster <laughs> hits them, they come in and they build a school and that's what we right. saw happen here yeah now in the first season they didn't they didn't frame him as a villain so much as kind of like a hustler who just does what he needs to do to you know go along to get along um kind of a, a lando type right like right. he he's learned that his charisma can get him far but he has to sometimes play a little fast and loose with the rules but he's not a bad guy and and the bounty hunters you know most of the the, <laughs> the guys that mando had to do in in the first season they weren't bad guys either there's yeah. nothing wrong with a bounty hunter it's just it's a job yeah. um now, obviously, there's some unscrupulous ones, but uh, for the most part, he was only a bad guy because he was at odds with Mando because Mando broke the rule. So it is kind right. of fun that they were able to always frame the other scenes to not just turn him into a villain. He, mm -hmm. he was never in it for any sadistic pleasure. He was just doing his job. Mando broke the rules. His job is to get the, the mark back, to get the baby back. And that's not because he's heartless or anything. It's just because that's what he does. That's his job. And, and in this part of the, the galaxy, there's a need for that. And he had, there's no shame in it. So uh, he always was what he was, but now you see that when he gets a little bit of authority and a little bit of clout and, they've run the empire out of town. So he doesn't have to make all these deals with the devil just to kind of keep things running. Right. He can start doing, you know, like what any hustler with a heart of gold would do when, when they have the opportunity, he does love his community. And uh, so again, just this all totally tracks Mando, just because of the chaos that he brings with him, wherever he goes, managed to oust the empire from the village last time he was on Navarro. So of course they're going to seize the opportunity to try and, you know, build their own little kingdom there. He said he wants it to be this trading hub or whatever. Like he wants to establish Navarro as a place that people want to go because it's a safe harbor. Uh, mm -hmm. so that's in his own self interest too, because he obviously wants to be at the top of that heap. So yeah, grief is grief. Kara's Kara. And, uh, it's a lot of fun to check in on them because they're, they're very much the characters that, we didn't get quite enough of last season. And of course the baby is always hungry. I mean, they, so <laughs> sure. number one, I guess, I guess the safest place to put your kid in this type of scenario would be a school, but it's just mm -hmm. interesting that you're going to put this little child who is, is a force wielder in a classroom with a bunch <laughs> of older kids. Um, like I love that the child kind of goes through this, you know, this progressive thing before they end up stealing the snacks sure. like like the child asks. like you know reaches <laughs> up for you know yeah. a snack hey can i have some and the kid just you know snaps at him and says no <laughs> um and so i thought that that was a cute time once again uh you know just a little reminder that the child can do this we haven't really seen the child use the force very often in season two i think we just saw it once with the frog lady's eggs when they're in the canister but other than right. that i this is the the only other time we saw the child wield the force yeah. Now, here's the thing. Cara Dune is very well aware of what happens when there's a misunderstanding with the baby because yep. he attempted to force choke her last season. So mm -hmm. the idea that she's totally gung ho with the idea of leaving him with a bunch of kids that, you know, she has a personal stake in. They, they built the school, you know, because they care about the community. She understands that, that baby, uh, if, if, if baby was so inclined, baby could take out the whole schoolroom. So, uh, I, I think it's a little contrived that they were comfortable leaving baby in that situation where some taunting school kids, you know, could 
end up on the wrong side of a force choke. But hey, for the sake of, again, a little bit more comic relief and a little bit more adorable baby time, why not have a little scene where it's baby versus the space macaroons or whatever? Like, I, I think that was that that's fun. And I'm starting to realize something in the Star Wars universe. Anytime you want to take a normal food and turn it into space food, blue food coloring, that's yep. all you need. So yeah, this is again a fun little callback because we know that blue food shows up all the time at every time you need something that's just a little weirder than what we would get on Earth. So mm-hmm. fun, lighthearted fare here. Everything with babies adorable. How can you not love it? Yeah, it is great. And then we were uh, reintroduced to a character that the last time we saw them, they were trapped in some carbonite, but it looks like the grief has allowed Mithril to uh, come out of the carbonite freeze and work off his debt for uh, grief personally. Now, I didn't pick that up last time that Mando was actually picking up Mithril for grief in season one. I don't know if they stated that. All we knew in season one was that Mando wasn't one of grief's like a list mm-hmm. uh, bounty hunters. He was kind of the second string. He got kind of the the booby prize accounts. So obviously, this is a low stakes quarry that he was bringing in here. So uh, it does kind of fit. You know, mm-hmm. that the grief would send him after someone that he knows is totally harmless and bumbling and can't really hide or do anything that Mando couldn't figure out. So that that tracks. But I don't think they said that outright. Mm-hmm. And that may have been a little bit of retconning because they wanted an excuse to bring Horatio Sands back. Yeah. Um, I got to say, though, of all the characters we've been introduced to, I never thought we were going to get Horatio Sands back. Uh, I never thought we were going to get Amy Sedaris back mm-hmm. either. So. Yeah, they're not setting these characters up for no reason. These aren't always just cameo or or fun one-offs. They're going to use what they have. And if they've already made a mask for Horatio Sands, then it's just production savvy to bring him back. Wasn't expecting it, but I enjoyed him a lot more in this episode. Now that we understand his character and understand he is going to be kind of the wisecracking comic relief, kind of Mm -hmm. your reluctant hero at times. Now that we understand that a bit more, having him in this episode was a lot more fun than I think the the little, you know, cold open we got last season from him. Yeah, and he's definitely not useless. Like, they're definitely using right. him in areas that he has, uh, you know, certain skills in. And so I think that that's something that we're going to see again. Now, whenever mm-hmm. we saw him in the trailer, I thought that it was just going to be the, you know, maybe he knew a secret about something that was going on in the Empire. It doesn't seem like that that's the case. It just seems like he's hanging around grief and we have grief using him to help him out around the house oh see i forgot he was in the trailer that must have just flown right by uh or i didn't make the connection that it was going to be horatio sands particular fish man mm-hmm. so that's a good catch well you you must have really studied that trailer because you, you got all the all the little easter eggs out of it that i missed um so i don't even know what we were talking about but yeah <laughs> it's it's good that he isn't useless it's good that they gave him some redeeming qualities because the, i think there was three times during the siege that he was pivotal right like yeah. he's the one that set off the reactor he's the one that found the coded message to uh moff gideon you know he definitely came in handy this episode again reluctantly you know he's always mm-hmm. wisecracking and always a little trepidatious but when push came to shove he definitely was an asset so those are the the character building moments that i enjoy seeing especially if it's a character that you've kind of written off as sort of one note and we find that kara and grief want to remove all imperial influence from navarro and there's one base in particular that they thought was empty and they were just going to basically blow it up and then they get there and it's not so empty this is actually the lab that in my view they were actually going to try to take the child to to do these yes. tests on because that we see this very disturbing uh thing on this imperial base 
Yeah. Now, do we want to start getting into all the little winks and uh, things that they set up here? Or do we want to talk more about just the the plan here that they execute before we get into all the little reveals there in the last mm-hmm. five minutes? Well, I mean, I don't have much to say on the plans because the plan is very poorly executed. I mean, they roll up to the front door and hope that it's empty. Like they don't even scope it out before they just hop up there. Um, The one thing that I did think was really good was when they go to actually blow up the base, uh, we get Mithril pointing out that there's no guardrails, which is the greatest mystery of Star Wars (laughs) factories in the world. Like this is the, the great thing that, of course, Favreau and Filoni are aware of and they just like throwing that stuff out there yeah at this point it's a total joke that they'd put the control panel on the far side of this treacherous little outcrop and the walking path to it is only like six inches wide it's just it's it's made for anxiety like there's there's no practical reason why anyone would design anything that way but we've seen it so many times in star wars now that you just have to accept that this is how you engineer things in the star wars universe and and it has become kind of a joke unto itself. And uh, I love that they continue to embrace it, mm-hmm. but yeah, how you can ever look at something like that and say, why would anyone design it like that? <laughs> but whatever it made for a fun scene and, and a little wink to star Wars fans that have seen this particular gag played out too many times. And I think it's safe now to kind of get into what is going on in this space. I mean, we don't really right. know what's actually happening here. Uh, it just, there's this creepy thing going on. Uh, for a second, I had to take a double take because I'm like, they're not trying to throw Snoke in here, are they? Because it kind of looked like this very deformed type of sure. lab experiment. And whatever this humanoid creature, whatever they were working on, um, the theories are probably out there. I haven't read anything up on this, but we know that the goal was to use the child's blood and that they got some of it in season one uh, because we have that crazy mad scientist doctor who mm-hmm. was on that holocron and he basically says you know uh i didn't have enough of the blood but if we have more i think i could be successful right so there's a few things we should set up here first off in their attempt to blow up the station they come across a terminal activate a video because they're trying to figure out what these specimens are that are embedded in these tanks on the walls that look like proto snokes they they, mm-hmm. they look like cloning experiments gone bad So they activate a video message from the doctor to Moff Gideon. And so this reveals something to the Mandalorian that he didn't realize. And that's that Moff Gideon didn't die in the crash, but somehow managed to survive because the video is only what, three days old. So that's the first reveal. Like now Mando knows that he's still a hunted man because he, he knows enough about Moff Gideon to know that he's someone that you can't tread lightly around. Like you have to assume that Moff Gideon (laughs) is is going to be tenacious in in pursuing mando so uh that's the first thing he learns and so immediately he realizes if this guy's still alive i can't be more than a foot and a half away from the baby and he he takes off yeah so that's the first thing we reveal uh we've got weird clones we find out the moths alive like you said in the message the doctor explains that the blood from baby got them so far but they're out of it so now Basically, their whole operation's at a standstill until they get the baby back. So we have every reason to assume that baby is still public enemy number one as far as the Empire is concerned. Like, they are going to be pursuing the baby. Uh, And that, again, is what gets Mando all worked up so he takes off. So, yeah, a lot of interesting questions raised, particularly as to why at this point, uh, some five to seven years uh, after Endor. I think about five years after Endor, right? Seven years after 
the Battle of Yavin, but about yeah. five years after Endor. Mm-hmm. So you were about five years from the Emperor seemingly dying. What is the Empire up to, or the remnants of the Empire that they think that somehow this is what's going to reestablish them in the galaxy? And that's what leads to all of the theories, which is right. they're not cloning for nothing. They're not trying to pull midichlorians from blood for nothing. We have to assume they're trying to make a new emperor or a new force wielding strong man to lead the empire. They're, they're doing something that's very much in line with where things end up in rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Now, are they attempting to connect those two? I don't know. Or is this just playing up something else that was already established in star Wars, which is, we know that cloning is a thing. We know that midi chlorians are a thing. We know that Yoda is a thing. So was Favreau attempting to dovetail with Rise of Skywalker? Or are they going in a different direction? That's what we don't know. And I'd love to right. know if you've got a particular theory on it, because that's about as much as I can speculate. Well, we knew in season one that we weren't going to get a whole bunch of connections to the Rise of Skywalker, because like you said before, Abrams was kind of working in this you know, little right. bubble, and, and there wasn't much getting out on what he was actually doing, and so it would have been yeah. unlikely that they brought in Favreau and had Favreau looking over Abrams' shoulder as he's developing the Mandalorian. Right. But we know that there were at least, there, there was something communicated to this team, that this was what they wanted to do because we got hints that they wanted to test on the child for you know the that very opening uh episode of season one and so now that we're past the rise of skywalker and i don't think that that lucasfilm is really going to take the part of you know damage control and fix what you know the trolls on the internet are trying to say but (laughs) there were definitely uh a lot of questions after the rise of skywalker now there are a couple ways that they can do this. They can go and try to answer how Snoke became in, sure. into being and became in one of these tanks. I don't know if they're actually going to do that. Um, that seems like a bit of a stretch, but I think it's exactly what, uh, what you were saying. I think that they are trying to build up something for, you know, the new empire, maybe mm-hmm. uh, a new, like weird mutated uh, breed of inquisitors uh, who knows, <laughs> but uh, and who know, it could be connected to the thing that Moff Gideon has in the, those, those little uh, look like potential suits that he has hanging out yeah. in his area. I, I freeze framed on that. Cause I thought they were death trooper outfits, mm-hmm. but this, it looked like he was in some sort of cargo area or staging area. So are we assuming that those are empty suits or are those droids or are those creatures in stasis? Like what, what's your take mm-hmm. on that? Cause that's another big scene that asks a lot more questions than provides any answers. So what was your take on that? And this is one where I'm, you know, going way in left field here because Moff Gideon, he's a fanboy. We knew this from the, you know, him him collecting things from Mandalore. So he's obviously aware of the siege of Mandalore. He's aware of the Empire. He's aware of these force wielding creatures that have taken over, you know, with the, you know, the flick of their wrist. And so this is something maybe Mm. that's what he is trying to accomplish. Maybe this whole plan with the child is based solely upon him and he's trying to build up his own league of force sensitive, you know, a force sensitive army, which could be what is in there. And we know that there was, you know, test subjects that that didn't make it according to this, this, uh, this communication between the doctor and Moff Gideon. Um, and then the other thing is that he has this, you know, death trooper droid thing because they're definitely not moving. And I don't think that you would have a bunch of empty suits with the red lights, you know, turned on. 
Yeah, so that's the thing. That's why I think maybe they're droids. So maybe what he's done is he's leveled up his forces. He tried to take out Mando previously and realized that even his death troopers aren't necessarily going to be a, a guaranteed win for him. So maybe he, you know, he he went and bought a whole bunch of droids and he's feeling a lot more confident about his chances next time he runs into Mando. Maybe that's all it is. And just because we got out of that lab scene with all of the 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 creatures in in the jars that we're maybe reading too much into it. So yeah. who knows what it'll be? But yeah, they're probably droids or maybe just leveled up death troopers or droid death troopers or something along those lines. But uh they're certainly setting up a lot of uh, heavy weapons for whatever finale we're going to get in a few episodes. We we understand now that he's got some form of a star destroyer, or a baby star destroyer of some some type, and obviously he's well equipped with the latest tech. So anyone's guess where we're going from here? Yeah, and then the other thing is it's also likely and probably more likely that we're not going to get an answer from those things that were in that canister yes. for a while because even John Carlos Vizito said that we should not expect any type of you know major answers until season three or season right. four. And so he kind of let it slip that they were working that far ahead just in that comment. Um, and so I think that it's more likely that they're these type of super droids that he's developing to fight the Mandalorian. And maybe they're super droids developed specifically to fight off um, a Mandalorian with all their tricks um, based on what he mm-hmm. experienced in, in the last uh, season. Very well could be. Because the other thing with these canister creatures is I don't think it was an accident that we were supposed to kind of double take a double take on it and be sure. like, that kind of looks like Snoke. Like the deformities mm-hmm. are very similar. Yeah, especially in the head. It mm-hmm. had like that crease. And I always thought that Snoke, or, well, at least before Rise of Skywalker, I assumed that Snoke was somehow injured along the way. And I thought that maybe that was them teasing that maybe it was Plagueis because mm-hmm. Plagueis, we're assuming, was left for dead. Uh, so there was... There was a lot about his injuries or seeming injuries that uh, I thought were inflicted mm-hmm. after the fact, not not deformities. But this is this is strongly suggesting, and the fact that we had Snoke's in jars and Rise of Skywalker that had the same deformities, mm-hmm. that maybe cloning force wielding creatures is a really tricky process. And Snoke was the best they were able to do. Yeah. So who knows? I, again, just so many questions now. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to get them anytime soon. I think this season is going to end very similarly to last season. I think we're going to get rewarded. I think Ahsoka is going to be a reward for us in this one. And I think that whatever battle happens between uh, Moff Gideon and Mando and company is going to be a nice payoff. But I think that Mm -hmm. if if you're watching The Mandalorian and you're hoping to find out where Baby Yoda is, is from i think you're going to be disappointed i think you're going to be disappointed in uh, asking what what the empire is wanting to do with the midichlorians um you know i think these theories on plagueis and the emperor and and all this <laughs> stuff with snoke is going to be discussed uh for a long time coming in the star wars community yes uh we could speculate all day but at this point we just have a bunch of blurry jars and maybe droids on racks so excited to find out where we go next week i'm kind of hoping maybe we run into ahsoka yeah yeah that would be great but one of the last things i want to touch on here is how great carl weathers captured (laughs) these action sequence between the razor crest and these tie fighters i mean we haven't really seen the razor crest in this much action before where he's actually you know fighting off these uh you know these other ships we saw him kind of on the run with the x-wings but this time we see that the mandalorian is a very capable pilot and he uh has a very capable ship and the child (laughs) is loving every Every bit of it yes a capable ship that was repaired impeccably in breakneck time but also 
had a tracking beacon placed yep. in it, which also is going to uh, obviously pay off later in the season because now Moff Gideon can track Mando and I can't see any reason why that's not going to come to a head sooner than later. Cause if you know where Mando's at, you're not going to wait and bide your time. <laughs> if he's got the droids, if he's got the star destroyer, uh, he's definitely going to be on the chase. So that's, that's the one big cliffhanger that they, they left after um, all of the, the fun chase stuff that we got and not just the tie fighters. It's worth mentioning that all that stuff in the Valley between, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Rocky crags above the lava, with them in the troop transport and then uh, the speeder bikes and all of that had a, a great energy to it. And I was just thinking back to the documentary for episode one, not episode one yeah. of Mandalorian, but episode one of star Wars, the phantom menace, mm-hmm. how hard it was for them to build the pod race scene where they had to learn how to generate rock faces and just figure out how to get uh, enough fidelity in the landscape to really make it work. Uh, on film and all the challenges that they had to overcome and how they had to get pod racers to disintegrate properly when they hit the ground, like have pieces fly off and, and have each piece have its own kind of physics to, to look like it's breaking apart properly. And I'm thinking about all that legwork that Lucas and co did back 20 some odd years ago, how it's really paid dividends because now on a TV budget with really like no limits, it's not like anyone went to Carl Weathers and said, no, we can't achieve that shot. It's just not possible. Like that conversation just does not happen on this show. Right now we can get things that have all of the fidelity and excitement of the visuals of the pod race on a TV budget and even better. Like you get these speeder bikes and when they crash, yeah, they, they fall apart and pieces go flying and, and you've, you've got everything you need at your disposal to, to craft any kind of exciting action sequence now. And, uh, it just, it makes me want to go back and just tip my hat again to how hard Lucas and ILM worked back in the nineties to give the creatives of 2020, the tools that they need to realize star Wars in this way. And I just, I think it's worth mentioning that they're standing on the shoulders of geniuses and they're doing great things in their own right. Yeah. And good on Carl Weathers for, having a good sense of pacing and framing in all these shots. Cause it, it was a great scene. Um, but he didn't do it alone. You know, the, the ghosts of ILM pass were definitely with him on this project. And to add on to that, I mean, they kept the mechanics, like the mechanics transferred and really lived on through, you know, the late seventies, all the way through the two thousands. And of yep. course the 2020s, even to the point where the, the little gun that the grief is, is controlling. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to the mechanics on the millennium Falcon, which yep. we have seen transfer over into the 21st century. Um, and then the way that these, that these speeders explode, I mean, of course the CG has improved, um, and made it look far more realistic, but yeah, every mm-hmm. bit of the movement, uh, <laughs> looks exactly the same. It makes you, you know, it reminds you that, oh yeah, this is in the same universe and it doesn't feel too out of place. And, right. um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the great stuff that the Fabro has been doing. It's just paying attention to all these little details and basically saying, I want them to, uh, to work and move like they did back in the eighties. Like that's mm-hmm. my goal. And, um, we've seen him do that before and we saw him do it, uh, here again. And Carl Weathers captured it in the most perfect way. And to add on to this tracker thing as well, um, I Mm. first want to point out that Lucasfilm is really, you know, discriminating against whatever race Ochi is, because I'm pretty sure that this alien is the same race that put the the tracker on 
on the Razor Crest. So I don't know oh. if they're all just bad guys, <laughs> but it's just the same kind of gave me the same little feeling. Because whenever I watched it, I'm like, oh, that guy kind of looks like you know a little bit like Ochi before he was all uh, all beat up and had to you know had to go to the desert and stuff. But it yeah, they just look creepy, <laughs> and so I think that's part of it. They're just these creepy looking. Yeah, things. they just they they just have a, a look that you can impose duplicitous motives onto. Um, yeah, I was I didn't make the connection, but you're absolutely right. One other thing that I think is worth saying. Oh, you know what? You have it in your notes, so uh, maybe you can set it up. Yeah, so we get the same X-wing pilot from the you know the second episode, third episode, mm. whatever it was. Kim's convenience guy, and he you know he's gung ho about his job. He's doing the paperwork part now. He's kind of investigating <laughs> the scene, but we have a very you know, in in a lot of ways, a heartbreaking reveal about Cara Dune, and that's that she is from Alderaan, and she oh, we learned we did learn that last season. That's right. Yeah, but they really drive the point home that there's still good to be accomplished. Like there's still a cause, mm-hmm. but she feels a little too broken at this point to be a joiner, as she yeah. said. That um, you know, she's just she's past that, and so it is kind of a a sad moment that she doesn't feel like she has anything left to offer the galaxy that maybe she's realized that joining the brute squad and just no matter how many stormtroopers you mow down, you never kind of fill that void. Mm. So yeah, there, there was a lot said there with just some glances and, and in between the dialogue there mm. that uh, informs her character a little bit, you know, she's, she's got feelings. She's just, she's not all just this, you know, smirking gung ho brute of an action hero. Um, yeah, she's seen some stuff and she's had some tragedy too. And it's nice that they take a moment to just help give you a richer view of kind of her perspective. And then also the X-Wing pilot really acknowledges this. Like you have sacrificed so much. Right. We would love to have you back. But even in, you know, the the parting where Kara says, ah, no, I'm not I'm not going back to that. I'm not going back to that fight. I'm I'm done with it. I'm moving on. And he leaves behind this you know metal of sorts like whether uh, I've, i haven't seen this one and maybe it's because i'm just out of date on some of my you know really expanded star wars lore but it feels <laughs> like this is very much like a you know a, a you know purple heart medal of honor right. type of thing yeah i got the same impression because he says look i looked up your records i saw what you did for the rebellion you know like you did a lot for the cause and there's a place for you you know in what we're trying to build with the new republic so my hunch is because this X-Wing pilot has already kind of shown that he gets it. He's smarter than he lets on, even though he's got kind of the worst beat in the, in the galaxy for an X-Wing pilot. He's no slouch. Mm-hmm. And I think he was smart enough to know that if he wanted to try and recruit Cara Dune, he was going to have to kind of appeal to her emotions there and kind of try and rekindle some, mm-hmm. some passion for the cause. And so I think by making the effort to, get a medal commissioned and bring it with him. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think what he was, was doing was just, he was, he was trying to give the gut punch that he thought maybe she would need to, to get back in the fight. And it, it's a, it's a nice moment, but obviously she's pretty stalwart that she's not a joiner at this point. And uh, who knows if that continues to be the case, but yeah, for now she's sticking to her guns. She's going to play the marshal and make sure the school kids mm-hmm. have a safe walk home. 
Yeah, and there are rumors of a spinoff series where she would be the lead and kind of doing okay. um, her own type of mission. So maybe this is establishing that. Who knows what is actually going to happen <laughs> with yeah. uh, with you know the future of uh, Disney TV shows because they're they're coming in hot right now. Yep. But you know something like that. But this is like you said, he is very strategic. This is not some incapable x-wing pilot he knows that his words have meaning and that he can Mm -hmm. use them in a certain way to the point of doing that i mean he's appealing to a person who has a you know a rebellion crest right on her uh cheekbone i mean this is something that uh that she was very much gung-ho of the cause before so i think he's definitely trying to get her back in here Yep, he's smart. He's shrewd. He's a good salesman. And it's just, it's a really nice scene because it shows that they're both formidable in their own ways. He's smarter than he lets on, even though he lets Grief Karga kind of believe that he's snowing him. He he understands what's really going on in the galaxy. He knows that he's getting played. But at the same time, he knows that he can't spend all his time kicking over stones on Navarro. There's other things to be done in the galaxy. So he's going to give him a pass on this one. Yeah, I, I really like that X-Wing character. For, for as little as we see him, he seems like a guy that gets it yeah. <laughs> for some reason. I hope we get a few more little peekins from him throughout the season. And uh, if at the end of the season there's some sort of, you know, Avengers assemble moment, I think we'll see him again. Uh, I don't oh, think yeah. he's going anywhere. I, uh, so if that's the finale payoff, uh, that'll be great. But what we do know is that the Mandalorian is kind of in the same exact place, just with a better ship as he was at the beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. And now Moff Gideon has a direction. Moff Gideon yes. lost the trail in the last episode due to Bo-Katan and her uh, her ruse on intercepting that little ship. But now mm-hmm. he has a clear path to the child. I think this is where we are getting kind of the final episodes of the season where it's going to be, you know, hitting the ground running. I mean, this is very much we could get Ahsoka in the next episode, uh, if, if depending on how fast everything goes. It's just it's coming fast, man. We are we are halfway <laughs> through this season and it feels like we are just getting started. Yeah, see, that's that's the fun of it. If if these episodes clock in somewhere between 30, 40 minutes, we've got basically one movie left to enjoy of the Mandalorian this season. If if we, if that's how we're going to tally the, the last few episodes, I certainly hope they they go out on a high note. I hope that this all dovetails and comes together in a satisfying way because they've set up a lot. You know, we've had a lot of little adventures that are dangling potential story threads, but we haven't pulled any of those strings yet. So I, I want to take some of these things that they've set up and start seeing where we're going with them. But the show's doing a very good job if it's got me roped in and, and just waiting with anticipation to see where they go with it. So the first half of the season has been great setup. We've had a lot of great environments, great adventures, great little moments, great little character building moments and introduction to new characters. But yeah, let's, let's get in the back half here. Let's, let's start paying it off. And I am oh so excited just because over the summer, John Carlos Bazito, he just couldn't keep his mouth shut about this show. <laughs> and he went on about, you know, we're going to see more of grief. We're going to see more of the dark saber. We're going to see so much stuff. And when he is excited about something that is saying something about, uh, about the show, because this guy, he can act with anyone. I mean, he can, he can steal the show from anyone. So I'm excited to see him interact with the Mandalorian in the coming episodes. And maybe, maybe we see him interact with uh, possibly Ahsoka as well. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to do this and to get moving. 
Yeah, as a as a Breaking Bad Uber fan, I'll take Gus Spring in space any day of the week. Mm-hmm. So please, yes, I'll I'll take the Moff Gideon any way you want to serve him up. But yes, let's just uh let's 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 get there. Let's figure out what we're doing with with all these characters. I just I want to see what uh, we're building towards. You just you can't throw out Ahsoka's name and make us wait three episodes. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying is we gotta <laughs> you gotta you gotta give us something at this point. Time to time to get on with it. Well, our listeners don't have to wait for three episodes to hear more from you, John. So where can they find you? Actually, they do have to wait for a little while because SNL, they did an unprecedented six episode run in the lead up to the election and they're on hiatus right now. They're coming back on December 7th, I believe. So I'm taking a little breather because that was quite a marathon for us as well to cover everything. Uh, but if anyone wants to catch up on what we had to say about pre-election SNL, they can go to SNL After Party on YouTube and check out our coverage there or find us wherever better podcasts can be found by searching for SNL After Party. And you can get caught up with Star Wars TV Talk throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk. Dot com and uh, you can find all of our shows online at star wars tv talk.com and by searching for star wars tv talk wherever you get your podcasts and please smash that subscribe button you can find our network tv talk.fm thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always <laughs>